Buju Ginoa. This is Charles Smith. I'm Ojibwe from the Fond du Lac Reservation, and you're listening to the Middle of the Res Road podcast. Buju Anishinaabe Doug. This is Joel Boje. I'm an Ojibwe from the Boys Fort Band of Chippewa Indians. This is in collaboration with the Minnesota Tribal Contractors Council, a.k.a. MNTCC, the show that is designed to be the source of information about industry job opportunities, success stories, trainings, and upcoming projects for Native Americans. We also share about our culture and language because it is the foundation of our identities. Oh. Welcome back to another episode of Middle of the Res Road. My name is Charles Smith. And I am Joel Boger. We are hosts for the Middle of the Res Road podcast. We are always grateful to be here with you. And today we're going to be talking about culture and language and how that's still kicking and thriving and trying to live yes how how it affects our lives every day that that's been that's been the amazing part of learning uh culture and who we are is and uh, our identities and, and you know like charlie here has really um paved the way for many a people to be able to help them in their everyday living and and it's just been amazing to to have a friend like charlie to to um ask questions and that's what we're doing and you know thinking about questions uh well you know first thing i want to acknowledge it's been a it's been a long time since we've just had a conversation yeah on the podcast just you and i it really has right even before we even became hosts that i think the last time we were both sitting on that side of the table yeah and um you know, going back to that questions thing, I try to be, <clears throat> if I'm teaching, once I get in the teaching mode, I try to especially think of how hard it was for me learning from the elders and how hard it is at times to learn from the elders because there's there's strict things about Ojibwe culture that a lot of people that that part is i guess struggling to to live or to be carried on um i can think about panjigabo the late panjigabo one of my good friends she was she was an awesome mentor for malax and i got to write a bunch of stories with her with the anjabimata zing project down there and Anjabimata Zing in the language, that means changing lives. And it's an awesome program down in Mille Lacs. And I was fortunate enough and uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to be at a point in my life, be at a point with my language and my, with my, my own language, my own language learning abilities to be asked to be a part of that project, to transcribe stories from first language speakers and my partner was Panji Gabo and I remember meeting Panji back in like 2000 and had it been like 2008 2009 when I met Panji and it was when I was arena directing for the for the Fauna Lake Veterans Powwow and I remember going up to her and asking her some questions about the powwow especially 
specifically about uh, eagle whistles. Because I would always hear this thing like, Ojibwe people don't eagle whistle at, don't really use the eagle whistle. So I had to ask the question. So I wanted to ask a first language speaker, somebody who grew up in the culture, somebody who got those teachings just from being at home. And I, so I had to ask her, I said, hey, do we use the eagle whistle? And she responded back to me in Ojibwe. And she said, and or Gawainakea in Dijitshigay We don't do things that way. Miyama Wainji, Wainji Kamagakuidakea Buana King, that comes from the Dakota country. And I said, well, what do we do with them? And she said, you know what, you should go to ceremonies. <laughs> yeah, you know, and she that's, she that's said, it. That's she said, it. you should go to ceremonies. And, and she said, have you been to our ceremonies? Um any of our ceremonies, naming ceremonies, um, sweat lodges, our summer ceremonies, and our funerals. And I said, and I, at that time, I wasn't going to any of those things. Maybe a sweat lodge here and there. Um, I eventually started going, but it was because I had to ask that question. We don't do things that way. That comes from the Dakota country. And I had to ask, well, what do we do with them? She said, go to ceremonies and then asking more elders about it and, um, figuring out that as Ojibwe people, we use that in a different way. We use that more so doctoring people spiritually. And that, that's a thing that we took upon, you know, that, it's kind of spread throughout powwow country and where people will bust those whistles out and use them and especially use them at night. And so at Fauna, like, you know, it took, a, took us a long time to uh, respectfully ask people and kind of make it a thing to we no longer use the eagle whistle during the day. Uh, I mean, during the night. Yep. And sometimes they'll be blown during the day. And at the same time, I still remember the very first time I had asked for help because I didn't know the very first answer. We don't do things that way. That's not our, our way. So it was a, it's, it's still a thing that I don't know I struggle with, especially if I go to a powwow because I know some of these old, older things than, than the powwow that we don't use it that way. That's the Dakota people. And then what's even more interesting, it was like during the, I don't know if you know Art. Um, what the heck is Art's last name? I can't remember, but he's a, a fluent elder from Pine Ridge, Lakota. And I got to ask Art, he lives um, he lives in Duluth. He was at our Veterans Powell. And I had asked, he seen a whole bunch of people again whistled back to back to back to back you know like three four whistles deep. yeah that's a lot of singing that is a lot of i know singing. and you guys I've just keep on, on singing yeah and you guys you know because you're taught to respect the whistle and respect the fans that when you get fan that you keep on jamming out because everybody else starts jamming how do you feel personally about that charlie like personally do you do you feel um Sometimes it's overused, or do you think there's like a purpose? Behind? I think there's a purpose behind the whistles, and mm-hmm. and there's a purpose that hopefully we move back towards. Yeah, 
but at the same time, you know, things change and we adapt and I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do with the powwows and I, I usually don't attend them anyways. I have saw some really um, significant uses of eagle whistles and fans and stuff like that. Like I've saw this um, gentleman, I believe it was at the Muscogean powwow. He blew his whistle on Cedar Creek. And after the after they sang for him and stuff, he came and offered him a grass dance outfit. Yeah, there's old school stuff like that when yeah, he did like, whistle dip. So yeah, he so he, he that was like his way of honoring that group is giving them a, a outfit. So that I thought that was like and just seeing like them special occasions like that it it just it's very eye opening and that was a very respectful way to do because he loved that group. <laughs> What is it? I asked our art because yep. he's from he's Lakota and Sundances, and that's where Panji said that this comes from. Yeah, and he grew up in on Pine Ridge. Grew up speaking the language. Grew up going to the ceremonies. Yeah. So I asked him. I said, "Well, what do you guys do with the whistles?" Because he had stopped me. He said, "What do you think about all these whistles?" I'm like, "Well, my our elders will say it's not our way." And he said, "It's." It's not really our way either. And I looked down, like, <clears throat> well, our elder said it comes from you guys, so how do you view it? And he said, we asked the whistle carriers in Dakota country because it happens during our, our sun dances that they no longer use the whistles at the powwows because they're bringing the spirits from the sun dance to the powwows instead of being where they're supposed to be. And I was like, man, there's like a mind blown thing. I was like, man, even people say that this comes from Dakota country, especially with Ojibwe communities. And, you know, that was kind of eye opening and to keep that to myself usually. And, um, yeah. you know, just for my own learning, because it is kind of a thing that it is its own thing, like right yeah, now. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, until people connect with their elders and, start asking the questions then you know it's gonna be there yeah it's just like trying to tell the choir to stop singing yep man that's what it is it's um i understand it i acknowledge it that it's there and i've saw whistle carriers whistle a drum and change the whole tempo of the of the powwow so it, it's like it, it's a give and take thing, and and I could see overusing it also. Then I could see um, using it for significant reasons. But it's like the way I was taught growing up is um, it was always just um, you honor that, you honor why they did that, and um, yeah, and, and that's what I grew up too. But when I was learning how to sing, yep. You know, you're taught that. And it makes you feel good as a singer, right? Yeah, because that's what it was. Get... So it was the most, like, I don't know, like, uplifting feeling. Like, and it was at MASH and Veterans. Well, we were, we were all very young then, and we'd get six, seven eagle whistles and fans and stuff like that. So we'd be singing at the powwow for, like, an 45 hour. 45 minutes, yeah. yeah. 45 <laughs> minutes to an hour, and we were young then, and, and that made us feel good. Cause it, it's like people were dancing and, and, uh, 
having the spotlight was was a was a nice thing as a kid. Yeah, you know, like wow, these people really like really love the music that we're singing, and and that made us feel good at that time. And um, I wasn't taught a lot of things growing up, like around the spiritual realm and spirituality and um, things that should be passed on. It, it's like, and I feel like a lot of the people in my age group and a little older and a little younger. Um, didn't have the ability to use their voice, which is, which is huge or, or didn't have the, the right means to ask for things they wanted to know about. Cause it's like, you know, like on my res, I'll say on my res, um, there was a way of doing things. Like when you go to ask for, for certain things along, um, like culture and spirituality and stuff like that. You bring a gift, you bring tobacco, you bring, you bring something, you don't just go and ask. It's like, and in that day to this day, I, I believe they still live that by that way. Our elders up there still live that way. Yeah. And that's something that I learned. Like the, when I first started learning culture, because when I was growing up, sure, I'm Indian. Sure. I, know some things about the woods sure i know how to hunt yeah and i'll go on the lakes and rivers and paddle around on a canoe but that at some point in in maybe in my developmental years as a teenager i kind of got away from or started questioning well what does what does being indian mean and that's probably what messed me up the most is asking what does indian being mean Cause I didn't know what Indian meant being, being Indian meant. I didn't know yeah. what that meant because, um, and I think it, because in my head it, it started classifying me as Indian and then, Hey, there's Indians in Florida, there's Indians in California. And, and we go to powwows and we go to, uh, we have special groups and we sing and we have the drum and, and just some, some things that are cross cultures yep. and then diving deeper into, uh, as I learned more about the language and I first started learning about the language, it was really powerful experiences when I first went into the sweat lodge up in Canada. And that's where I got my Ojibwe name. I was going there for help and I was, uh, that's when I went into recovery and I went into, before I got there, I had some good people, take me under their wing, say, hey, you need to bring some tobacco, food, and some gifts. So I went there and brought those things and got named. And while I was in that sweat, there's no one speaking English. And it was the most humbling experience that I have ever experienced because I went there for help. I needed to get some things out, and I couldn't do it because everybody was talking Ojibwe. And I wasn't, and I couldn't. And so I sat there, and then I wanted to, eventually, I started asking the questions like, why don't I know Ojibwe? So I started learning the Ojibwe language, and and one of the things that really helped me dive into the language (coughs) is that learning how to play guitar at like 16, 17 years old, something that I never thought I could do. It was something that you put 
you put a uh, a welder in my hand, I would not know what to do. Yeah. And I, at that time, you know, the insecurities as a young man and and feeling like if I'm if I fail at this, then what else am I going to fail at? Yeah. And can I handle all the failures that go along with it? And so uh, when I started learning the language after that, um, I had a lot to do with a guitar because I I looked at the guitar like this is something that I can understand the music I can understand I don't know what chords are I don't know what uh, music notes are uh, these songs that I hear on the Guns and Roses Kiss all the bands that I was listening to growing up yeah Alice and Chains Nirvana I was like I can't do that there's there's no way I can make my guitar sound like that guitar. And then I started playing like one note at a time. Are you reading music? No. Oh, I couldn't okay. read music either. Yeah. So I would do one note at a time, look at tabs on the computer, do one note at a time. And I think the very first song I ever learned was uh, either Iron Man by Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> or yeah. um, Sweet Dreams by Marilyn Manson. And those were like the first two songs I ever learned. And I was like, that sounds just like the record. I can make something that sounds just like the record. And then I started learning more songs. What I really got into is Nirvana. And I would sit, put on headphones, put the volume to a certain level on my headphones so I could hear the guitar over the music just a little bit, just enough. And I would play the unplugged album of Nirvana and I would just play that. I would get every strum that Kurt Cobain did on the unplugged album. Every one of those songs I learned how to play by listening to it, by listening and then knowing the chords. So I look up the tab and say, Oh, it's a E G a minor C. And then I'd learn how to play it. Okay. I, I know how the sound song goes and then I put it on the headphones, adjust the volume play over it and make sure that every strum was hit like him. And then I would play for people and they'd be like, that sounds just like from the unplugged album. That's what I wanted. That's what filled me up. And I was like, wow, I learned how to play guitar. I, I felt like it's something that I could do for a living because I, I worked so hard at it and, and something that I thought never was possible. And I turned something that was impossible into possible and after that like it was a light switch on that went on yeah and then i started learning language and i when i started learning language i'm like how the heck is this going to work like it's people say it's one of the hardest languages to learn in the world and for whatever reason i think it i think it was one of part of the worst things that anyone could tell anybody you know the world the guinness book of world record saying that Ojibwe is one of the most difficult languages to learn in the world did not do Ojibwe people any good knowing that especially no. being disenfranchised disenfranchised and and dealing with systemic racism and getting language taken away in the boarding schools and and then that being perpetuated upon by our own people to the younger generation saying hey don't waste your time on the language. It's too hard. Don't waste your time on the language. It's not going to get you anywhere. And 
so I went, when I started going to school, I started learning how, when I went to college, and then this is early on in recovery, I wanted to learn the language because of that experience of going into the sweat lodge. And it felt like I was learning guitar again. I have to connect the sounds, make the sounds exactly like the speakers are making it. And then in math, and then I'm gifted in math. I was gifted in math growing up. <clears throat> you could give me a, a math problem and I could solve it until I figured out that, hey, I like girls. <laughs> when I was like 12 years old or 13, I was like, women are more interesting than math. So I kind of started, so I kind of walked away from math, but I was up to that point. I was really gifted in math. And I told this story uh, with Char- Charity Johnson from Starbase on the epi- on a couple episodes ago that I failed math so many times when I was in second grade. I took a test three times in a row. And the second test I took, it was the same test. Um, first test I failed. Second test I failed. Third test I got a C. And my one of my friends, after I failed, I asked him for help. I ended up failing that second one again, even with his help. I asked him for help again. I said, hey, can you help me figure this out? And then he helped me again. I, failed, I got a C that time. And I wanted to get an A. I wanted to know what that felt like, uh, even at, in second grade being um, seven years old. I wanted to know what that A felt like. I wanted to wanted to earn that A no matter what, no, knowing that that F was not going to change. I wanted to know what that A would have felt like. So that third test that I ended up taking, so F, F, C. That last test I ended up taking, that fourth one, I got an A plus, 100%. And it was because I got mentored and, uh, my buddy helped me figure out how to figure out math, and it just clicked. And then after that, I, anything you, that they threw in front it. of me, yeah. yeah, I liked it. Changed my whole perspective on it. I could figure this out. I just have to sit with the book, and you could stick a math problem in front of me between seven, uh, seven years old and thirteen or fourteen, fifteen. Tell you, man, what's your name? Yeah. Right? <laughs> what's your name? <laughs> and so, uh, Ojibwe is kind of like math. It's it's an equation. Uh, we got paradigms in math, and you start putting words into a paradigm to make another word. And that made sense. And then I have to sound like I can't sound foreign, even though I have an accent. English accent too and so I worked really hard at sounding as Ojibwe as I possibly could and then using the paradigms and using patterns that I seen in Ojibwe to sound more like speakers and then I started listening to audio constantly by the time I left the tribal college I went to the U of M Every time I was in the car, every time I was on the bus, every time I drove home, every time I drove back to the cities from visiting home, I had Ojibwe on in the car constantly. Just even if I didn't know what was being said, I I knew I needed to learn, listen as much as I could so I could understand, hey, this 
he was saying a word right there. I don't know what it means, but it was a word. And then, hey, those words and where he stopped, that's a sentence. I don't know what that means, but I can say it. I don't, don't know any of those patterns. I don't know any of those paradigms yet. And, but I know I can say this sentence. I know I can sound just like Jim Clark in the recording. Jim Clark was from Milax, and it's one of my favorite speakers and one of the f- speakers that I listened to the most growing up as I started learning Ojibwe, Jim Clark and Joe Aganosh. You can go on Bemidji State University and look at Oshkosh Native Journals, the, the history and the back issues of the Oshkosh Native Journal, and you can find their books. There's like, I don't know, 12, 13 books on there. A lot with audio. I use the ones with the audio. And I listen to Jim, and I listen to Joe Alganosh a lot. And <clears throat> just started learning, and then I got into transcribing. And that's where my language really took off, is when I could listen to what I was hearing and then write it down. That's what that's what I went to college and learned how, how to enunciate. Yeah. Like, like when I can hear the word, it's like, I know how to spell it. I'll know how to spell it, but it's like the, uh, retention. Yeah. Like, it's like, a, like, it's like, like muscle. Yeah. Like, man, I'd have to keep seeing the word over and over and over and over. And, and, and eventually I would, I would just retain it. And, um, but it's like that. That makes sense because it's like if I could sit there and spell the words down that are being said, it's like I'd probably have a better chance of remembering that word by by having to enunciate the whole word out. Yeah, and then just saying it over and over again yeah. until it until. So what I would end up doing in my head, like if it was, the word was like guayacuatizuin, I don't. I heard it earlier today at work, which means to. To be honest, to be upright, that's the way you live your life. It literally means that you're that way. You're being upright all the time. Yeah, perfect. And what that means is she's living an upright life. He or she is living an upright life. That literally means it literally means that. And so, um, I forgot where I was even going with that. I got distracted by Ojibwe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> I like that. I like that word. Oh, oh, that's where I was going. Uh, what you were saying. Uh, so you can say that word uh, three, four, five, six, seven times. Even on the bus, our one of my favorite teachers, Wanigabo Brandon Fairbanks, he's a linguist down at the U of M. He would say, say these paradigms on the bus when you're going home light some candles on at your and take a bath and have your paradigm and be that person in the bathtub with some bubbles in there and <laughs> going through your paradigm. Yeah, yeah. Be the crazy person on the bus saying paradigms in Ojibwe out loud and have people looking at you and don't care. And that's what I did. I worked on those paradigms until I got them. And then with like the words like guayaquadizi having a meaning in my head like erasing that hey this means honesty this means she's honest when i erase english out of my head and it i'm just going to replace it with guayaquadizi 
And that's kind of, I kind of like started erasing English at the same time and just using Ojibwe. And, and, um, that's kind of how I started doing it. And then when I got to the U of M, Awanigabo started taking us to Malax to work with the elders. And then meeting Panji and meeting some more of the elders from Malax and learning, hey, these elders, for you to get some language from them, you should bring tobacco. You should bring some gifts. Like when I asked Panji that question, her son Pete was emceeing, so I worked with Pete. Me and Pete were good chums. And he said, you asked my mom a question about what? I said, yeah, I had to ask her about the eagle whistles. whistles. I wanted to know what they were to us as Ojibwe people, where they come from, and if we how to use them as Ojibwe people. He said, you should ask her, you should have gave her tobacco for a question like that, for that kind of knowledge. And I was like, man. So I started reframing on how I approach elders. Yep. And started making sure I had tobacco with me and making sure I had some gifts with me. And a lot of times being a broke college student, the only thing I had to give 20, 40 bucks Mm -hmm. and giving what I could give to the elders and asking them for help. And then something weird happened. They started helping me. Yeah. And they started answering my questions, started talking to me in Ojibwe, started inviting me to more things. And then a really great man came into my life. Amiko Gaboy Bun, uh, Larry Smallwood, and he taught me how to do ceremonies and took me under his wing. And I still remember the conversation like it was yesterday. It was like two or three ceremonies, and I'm sitting with him, sitting right next to him. And he said, You know what, Charlie? I thought you were kind of weird when I first met you because you <laughs> wanted to learn language. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, man, I, I really did. I just wanted to learn language from you. I, you're, it's a Mick. He had the coolest voice ever. Sounded just like how I want to sound talking Ojibwe. Yeah. Cause Jim was long gone. He was, he passed away in 2006. And by the time I started working with a Mick, that was like 2012, 2013 when I started working with a Mick. And then I'm like, you're the person I want to sound like. You're the person that I want to sound like the most out of everyone I've met so far. Everyone that I know that's out there. I want to sound like you the most. And he just kept having me come back. He would call me up. It was 2013, 2014. Um... And especially around 2015, 2016, we really got close. He was one of my best friend. I was, I was at home with my kids, my two kids, my daughter at the time, 2015. And being at, at home with her, working on language stuff, and then taking on contracts and still learning language, and then trying to finish my degree because I had left the U of M early. I I would get phone calls from a Mick and I was he was one of the only people that I was talking to. It was me, my daughter, um, her mother and my my parents were my group, my the people that I chose to be around the most. 
because I wanted to be there for my daughter. I wanted to, to, that's, that was my life. And a Mick was there and he was my best friend. So I would get a phone call from him, text messages from him. Like, man, it's kind of weird having a 62, 63 year old man text you or call you up out of the blue and say, Hey, need you. What's up? And I didn't know how to really respond. I mean, now looking back and knowing that, hey, I've called speakers and I've been on the phone with people for an hour, hour and a half. The conversations that I would have with him now if he was still here, I'd be che- I'd be on the phone with him as long as I could be until I was bored or until he was bored. And he said, well, I got to go do something else, Charlie. I got to hang up on you. So the conversations that I would have now, but even the conversations that I would have then, because it was more insecurities on my part. I was insecure that he was calling me, that he took interest in my life, and that he wanted to check up on me because I was one of his friends and see what I was up to, see if I could go to, to ceremonies with him. And... And then at the same time, trying to get language from him at the same time. So, you know, I was comfortable with him in person, getting a phone call from, um, you know, not not a random person, but somebody that uh, challenged me because I couldn't keep up with him, especially on the phone. I couldn't see his face. I couldn't see the expressions he was making because in Ojibwe, we used a lot of TPR, total physical response. So when he's teaching, he's moving his hands, moving his body, showing you if, you know, if trying to teach you how to unbutton your jacket, um, put on, put on a hat or something, using as much as you can to teach somebody, hey, this is what this means. I don't have to use English. I'm going to show you what it means. I'm going to take a drink of this water. I'm drinking water. And then knowing, hey, if I say that means I'm drinking water and that's what he's doing. And that's as, that's, uh, you know, getting away from English and using, you know, what we do in English already, showing people what we're doing, being animated and, and doing it just in our, our own language. And when he started teaching me ceremonies, I had to do the same thing. He had called me up one day. He said, Niji, I want you to start learning ceremonies and I want you to ask so-and-so and so-and-so if, if they're willing to because Fond du Lac needs some people to know how to do these. And it was a mick. And I was like, hell yeah, man, I want to I sit with you. I want to learn ceremonies. I'll do it. Didn't know what I was getting myself into. Yeah. It was a, you know, the responsibility that I was taking on unknowingly what that would um, you know, like the consequence, you know, everything has consequences, good or bad, but the consequences of saying yes, because then I learned how to do that ceremony. But when I, when we first got there, talked to my brother, my brother, Bill, who was one of the people he had asked to be there. I said to Bill, because we worked at St. Saint Scholastica and Duluth Public Schools, and we always invited a Mick in, and we always invited um, our good friend Majigwaneoshin and some other speakers from um, Panema and Malax and yeah, especially East Lake, our good friend Neeb Abed. Um, 
I said, are you showing up with some gifts? He said, of course. I said, me too. I can't show up empty handed. He's going to teach me something that I want to retain. And so I showed up there with a, with a knife that my dad had given me. And a knife that I had since I was like 12, 13 years old. And I gave him that knife, gave him tobacco, and gave him some money. The months, the, the, I don't know, I must have like 100 bucks. I probably gave him all of it. Gave him that money and gave him that knife and went from there. And I, he taught me that ceremony. And I felt like, you know, two, three years into that apprenticeship, I felt like crap. Or a year maybe into, I felt like crap after a year of being his apprentice because he would always ask us, knowing that I speak the language, knowing I'm keeping up with him, knowing that he could tell me something in Ojibwe and I'd go do it. And then he would ask me, hey, go up there and do that talk. Go up there and do that speech for the tobacco. I couldn't do it. And so I went went back one day and after the two or three times I was like man Bill and and Marcus they can do that better than I can there's an insecurity there that people can do this better than me there's far better people that can do taco Ojibwe than me there's far better people that can uh, that's worthy enough to be taught from a mick that in the internal things that were going on and then I kind of brushed that aside and I told myself I said I this old man keeps on asking us no one's going up there he, we've been doing this with him for one year and that guilt that shame even that's all good that guilt and shame of not knowing, not being able to do that for him. Uh, so what I started doing is it took like two more ceremonies, two more funerals. I took my phone out, listened to him. I already had the gist of the tobacco talk that he was talking about that he wanted us to do. And I wrote it down in my phone because there was no book about, about it. There's no, this was never written somewhere. And so I wrote it down in my phone and I, I saved it as a note and I worked on it for two or three ceremonies and would go back to it and study it. When we get done, I would, Mick would sit back down and I'd be like, hey, I'm going to read you my note that I wrote in my phone about this. I read it to him. He'd say, hey, this is good. This is good. I didn't say that. I said this, and then he'd correct it. So I'd make a correction to my note, and then we'd go through it. He'd make his corrections, and then I had it down in my phone. I still have it in my phone. I still bring it out when I'm doing ceremonies, just as a reminder. Um, and then I got it down, learned it, and then he said, go up there and do the tobacco talk. And I stood up and I went out there and did it. And nervous. Um, and I know, Jibwe, we do this thing we, um, when we acknowledge that what we like about somebody, what we like about what somebody had said, 
He was like, ho, ho, yeah. ho. And I heard him say that. I could still hear him say it. The very first time I got up and talked, he said that. He started saying that when I started mentioning things that he had taught me. And I started stumbling. And I was like, dang, man, what is he doing in that? And I looked back and made me more nervous. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know that response. I'm like, oh, he's just, he's just telling me I'm doing a good job. He's agreeing with me. And then I finished it. He's like, I won't do that to you anymore, Niji. <laughs> until you have it down but I was just telling you you're do, you know, I agree with what you're saying and now um, you know having that type of mentor fill me up fill me up with enough confidence where hey he's agreeing with everything I'm saying I should learn the next part then I went and learned the next part recorded him transcribed everything out, wrote it down, remembered it, started learning it, started listening, listening to the recording, started um, memorizing what he had said. And then I started doing the the wakes, parts of the ceremony um, when we were, when we were, when we would get together. And then the very first time I did that, I sat back down and I was like, I know I nailed every single thing that it, he, did, he has ever taught me. He's going to tell me I did a good job again. And he said, hey, Niji, don't make it sound like it's scripted. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you, there's, there's areas in, in there that you can switch things up so it doesn't sound the same every single time. Because he knew that I had learned exactly, like, verbatim. was written. Yeah, and what I had heard. And it sounded exactly the way he did it and exactly what he would say. And so he said, you know, learn it, listen to how I change it up at times, and then go from there. Then you'll be comfortable with it. So it took a couple more times, and then before I knew it, he would stop coming up. On uh, the wakes, he'd be like, "Need you? You got the wake? I'll be there tomorrow." It's like, "Dang, man, come on! I want to <laughs> hang out with you. Come up, even though it's a morbid thing, you know, hanging out with an old man at a funeral." I was learning so much about Ojibwe protocols, Ojibwe thinking, Ojibwe philosophies, um, and then hanging out with him at powwows when I would do this spiritual advising at a powwow. He'd call me up. He said. Hey Niji, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you on the radio. I'm, 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 I'm on my way up, and I'll be coming up. Um, I want you to do a couple of things for me. And I said, "What? Well, what's that?" He said, "You're about to do the talk, right?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Well, you don't have to mention your clan. You don't have to mention where you're from." And you don't have to even mention your full name because I go by a Mick. That's not my full name. I knew what his full name was. I'm Mick Ogabo. He said, shorten up your name. You don't have to mention any of the other stuff and just go from there. He said, that's for your own good, for your own protection. Mm -hmm. I was like, all right. Did that, came up there. He got there. And he started 
co-MC and he was, he was like the third MC for our powwow because I was so close to him. He would MC with Pete and, and, uh, Les. And then I got to ask him all kinds of Ojibwe questions. I got to ask him about dances. I got to ask him about, uh, the different dances out there, the different drums, uh, how somebody was singing, how somebody was blowing a whistle or how somebody was fanning, um, the way he thought about things. And then I got to work with other speakers at the powwows too, like Tommy Stillday and um, Gilbert Caribou from um, Grand Portage, uh, Pete Garbo from um, Leech Lake, Dejan Goodsky, all those guys, first language speakers. And I got to ask them all kinds of different questions just because those elders took me under their wing and told me, taught me enough about being, being humble enough to ask for help and then having enough good Ojibwe where, hey, this guy doesn't sound like he's talking from a book. Yeah. And I remember that story you used to tell about um, being told you can't learn Ojibwe in a classroom. Yeah. I, that, that, ring, that really rings to me, like, because it's like um, when I hear you speaking the language, it's like, I know you didn't learn that in a classroom. You know, that, that, that was taught, that was given to you. And I wanted to ask you another thing. How do you feel about purpose in Oji- within the Ojibwe people? Do you think everybody has like a different purpose as an Ojibwe person? You, you know, that's an awesome question because, you know, it comes, comes back to like our storytelling and storytelling's happening right now throughout Ojibwe country we have finally have snow that happens when we have snow so when you when we so we have the gala coming up the yep. gala yeah uh, which literally means let's dress up fancy yeah as they tell some legends mm-hmm. and that's coming up on February 17th but it's open to the public that's what we're doing at the Fond du Lac language program that's happening at Black Bear. And for that stuff to happen, you know, we ask our elders and ask everybody who's really involved, like the MC, who's Keller Pat. Um, we bring them tobacco. We ask them, hey, will you consider doing this for us? And they all agreed. That every, um, Neeb, Migazi, Michael Sullivan Sr., Dr. Michael Sullivan Sr., uh, from Lakota Ray, and Hannah Ori, Nigana Benesik, she's from Lakota Ray as well. Keller Paps, he's Wawakea, she's from Red Cliff. But we all went to visit each of these people. I went to the first three and gave them tobacco, and I said, hey, will, in the language, will you consider telling legends? And then our apprentices went to Wawa Chaos and said the same thing. Will you consider being our MC? Will you consider being the man who talks? So he's our MC because he accepted the tobacco and the gifts and he's coming to do that. But thinking about storytelling and what we get from the our legends, our identity, things that what makes us as makes us Ojibwe people. Uh, Wayne Abuju, hearing those stories about Wayne Abuju or 
our trickster, the half spirit, half man. You know, I'm really fortunate enough to, everybody's fortunate enough to get, you know, the English translation for those stories because yep. you can still learn a lot. But hearing it in Ojibwe, it just enhances that because I get the Ojibwe and English. I get the story twice when we do storytelling events. I get to hear it twice and I'm like, oh, I understood that part. Oh, this is what he was saying because I got confused. Because I don't, I still get confused. It's just like in English, you, somebody could be telling you a long story and you still get confused and English is your first language and they just said it to you in English. <laughs> yeah. So in the language, that means who am I? It's a really important question. Something that we teach as, as, as Ojibwe people, as, as Ojibwe speakers, some of the things that we try to, try to combat. We don't try, we do combat systemic racism and racism because racism exists to take away strip somebody of their culture and language just how racism works and what what we do is we do uh the one of the most anti-racist things that you can do is practice culture practice your language it's the biggest thing that any person of color can do any person um don't doesn't matter even if you're white my grandmother she's full she was full-blooded finn her her parents were told by the cloquet public schools and we had them on a couple episodes ago but not cloquet public schools uh the cloquet school board in the 1930s 1940s the school board told them don't teach your kids finnish teach them english it'll make their lives easier too it's one reason why our family don't know Finnish. And um, so asking that question in Ojibwe, who am I? You know, that's a thing that we teach because it leads to self-identity. I know who I am. And knowing all parts of you, emotional, mental, spiritual, and physical. And getting those deep connections with yourself. So it goes all the way back to our legends to figuring out who am I as an Ojibwe person? Do I understand what it means to be an Ojibwe person? Because, you know, once we get our Ojibwe name, our clan, we know our community, those kind of three things are always out there. People talk about that a lot, knowing those three things, especially in the Ojibwe language. Because... Your name, that's who you are forever. Yeah. You have that. And once you get that, no one can take that away from you. No one can say to you, you're no longer Zunge Goneosh. They can't. They, no one can take that away from you. And then you have your clan. No one can ever take that away from you. That was given to you by your dad. Yeah. And then you have your community. The community that you're supposed to represent. And it's a question. You, we still use that question as, in Ojibwe. Anish Rangibayan. Where are you from? And the significance in Ojibwe, why we ask that, is where are you from? Because if you sound crazy, 
if you sound crazy, I want to know where you're from. I want to know, hey, oh, he's from Boys Fort. <laughs> I don't think I want he must represent all of boys for and that must be kind of how they really think and I'm not going to spend some time up there but if you're a really good person and which you are I'd be like man there must be some freaking awesome ass people up in boys for and same with Malax. I met so many cool people from Malax. uh a Mick Lee, Neeb, Jovanaquinabi, Panji, all uh, Susan Shingabee, Marge Anderson. She was Alfreda, Sam, Okadok. Um, meeting all these speakers and getting to know them. I don't know. I have like a little affinity for Malax because they gave me so much, so much language, so much identity, and so much knowledge about myself that. Um, that's where a lot of that comes from is Malax and, and then Fonalac too, because my dad taught me how to hunt. I learned how to rice on Fonalac. I learned how to sugar bush on Fonalac. My dad taught me how to moose hunt. We go up moose hunting and my dad taught me how to be on the canoe. That's all related to self identity. That makes up the person I am. And then I went to the U of M. I went to school. So knowing who I am and asking the constantly asking that question, who am I? And who am I not? <clears throat> and how have I changed? Because I'm not the same person I was yesterday. Doing things differently today. Maybe doing some of the same things. Having having discipline and motivation and keep on doing the same good things in our lives. Yep. And then celebrating people's recovery birthdays. Yeah, that was nice. That was a good day, man. And that's part of who we are. That's part of my identity. I'm in recovery. We go out and celebrate a recovery birthday with my bro. Yeah. And that's, you know, having all that, those things to fill up my identity as, as an Ojibwe person. Or Making just, time. Making time. I think that's one of the hugest things right now as, as an Ojibwe person is like, there's a lot to learn. Heck yeah. There's so much to learn. It's like, um, I, I connect with spirituality and culture through song and dance. That's how I've always connected with it. And it's like, um, I wasn't taught that growing, growing up as a, as a younger kid, like my dad, my mom, my mom danced when I was younger, but, um, I wasn't around it. So it's like, I kind of had to pick it up and, and kind of learn learn it on my own and, and and I feel fortunate that I that I did that it's like it's like yeah I probably know a lot of language but it's through song and and, and how it's written in the songs it's um you know the meaning of the song and why you're singing it what what it, what words you're using to sing the songs it, it's this um just a little bit. That's all it is. Just a little bit, a little, little bit of the language that I carry, and in, in that, that, and that's why I asked you about the purpose. Is like everybody, every Ojibwe person has a purpose. Some can bead, some can hunt, some can fish, some can gather, some can sing, some can dance, some can make regalia, some can make um, our good parents. 
so it, it, it's uh there's a wide variety on i do like how you explained it to me like how can i be a better ojibwe person it's like and, and there's so many ways so many avenues that people that ojibwe people can take and i and i believe it's just about finding where your heart's at and getting out of the comfort zone yeah too at the same time yeah putting yourself out there it's like I, I never thought i'd see myself talking on a podcast or working outside all day or just just things like that or being being a good parent i i i, I never would imagine that i could do that that I was capable of doing that, of being a provider, being a someone who goes to work every day and stays busy and, and then find time to sing and, and go to powwows. And um, it, it's just, uh, you know, like that, that was kind of like the question I asked was, you know, like about the purpose, you know, and, and that's, that's always a good one to put out there. I think, especially for our listeners that are Ojibwe and, and they want to know where to start. Anyone. Yeah. I think it's anyone. Anyone. With, uh, asking that question, like, who am I? Because especially Ojibwe people, because we're Ojibwe. Yeah. But that question could help anybody, anybody, especially any any person who's struggling, any person that, uh, because we all struggle. Life is freaking hard, man. Yeah, it is. And once you start asking some honest questions, who am I? And being honest with yourself. If you're a crappy dad, who am I? I'm a crappy dad. And do I want to stay there? No. I want to get better. Yep. Them needs or, and wants. Like, or maybe, hey, who am I? I'm a auto mechanic and could I be more? Yep. Yeah. I believe I can be more. There's more things I can do. There's a reel that I watched today. Um that I was thinking about before I came here is by Rick Rubin. He was doing a podcast. He's a music producer, worked with Nine Inch Nails and Red Hot Chili Peppers and a lot yeah. of famous bands. And he said, don't ever tell yourself I can't do something. He said, instead, tell yourself I haven't done that yet. I can't learn Ojibwe. Well, that's... Uh, that's a non-helping thought. Yeah. Because you put it in your head, hey, I can't do that. You put that limitation on yourself. But if you say, hey, I haven't learned Ojibwe yet, then that possibility is still there. That possibility you can pick up anytime you want. I haven't learned, uh, I can't learn what it means to be an Ojibwe person. I can't learn, I can't rice. I can't sugar bush. I can't go hunting. No one's ever taught me about that. I haven't learned that yet. I haven't learned how to race. I want to. I haven't learned how to sugar bush. I want to. I haven't learned how to tell legends. I want to. And that changes your entire perspective. Well, and then that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like the gift, the tobacco, the you know, asking the question and, and doing it the right way. The respectful way, it's like somebody's gonna, somebody's gonna open that door for you, and that's like as Ojibwe people, that's how we pay our honor and our respect back to someone that that is asking in that that way. And it's like I haven't always known that either. 
it, it's like I, I'm I, I'm not one that always was like that either. It's like it took me a a long time to learn how to do things respectfully and um, by our beliefs and how we are as as native people. And, and and I carry that today. I get to carry that. Um, if it comes to tomorrow, it's like I'm gonna continue to carry that 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 level of respect, that level of uh, understanding and love and kindness. Because it's like that's who we are with as Ojibwe people. You know, like I I just life is a lot better like this, like being able to look at everybody just eye to eye. Yep. As I, as we wrap this up, I want to share, I've been thinking about this. Some things that made me learn the language, some characteristics. Cause I believe that people can learn characteristics if they don't have it. They can, if you if you're not if you're not um if you don't have these qualities you can work on these qualities and not saying that everybody needs these qualities to learn to learn Ojibwe but i really believe that i've seen this one reel of a couple last year sometime i've saved it i watched it i rewatched it cuz i wanted to understand it i wanted to remember it three characteristics that and then I'm going to talk about another characteristic that really has helped or it's in there too um three characteristics that successful people have not saying that there's these three things are going to make you successful but underlying that there's these three are in common with people that like Steve Jobs Jeff Bezos um you know, Wawa Chaos, Keller Pap, um, Chacho Gonzalez, Hombishki Benes. These guys that are successful people, I really believe that we all have, especially the ones that have learned Ojibwe at this point, we use these 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 things interchangeably. One of them being insecure and crippling insecurities. Because I get it all the time. I can tell somebody, hey, you should go ask them for help. Like somebody comes up and asks me, hey, do you want to teach? Do you want to teach Ojibwe? Do you want to do this event? Do you want, can you come and help us? Why me? Like there's far better people than me. Go ask Chato. Go ask Keller. Go ask Mike. You can ask uh, Brandon. Like those guys they can help you. Like, why, why me? Um, you know, because I'm that insecurity that I still have, like it, it's almost like a crippling insecurity. Like I would rather have you ask somebody else. I I'm feel good that you asked me. Sure. But some, I don't want to embarrass myself. What if everybody finds out I'm a phony? What if everybody finds out finally, this isn't who I really am. This is, I've somehow made it this far and, and I took down this gig and crashed and burned and made a fool of myself because I couldn't do what I thought I could do. And, 
And then another characteristic being um, superiority complex. You deserve this. I think we all have that in common. Oh, yeah. Of the people that have learned Ojibwe, or people that have learned anything, uh, or super successful. Uh, superiority complex that, hey, I deserve this. I deserve to work with these elders because I've worked hard on my language. <clears throat> I deserve, um, I might deserve this more than others. There's a thing there that inside of me that tells me <clears throat> that I've, I've paid my dues. I'm going to, I'm saying right here, I've paid my dues. You, no one's going to push me out. And then um, it goes back to another thing. This is related to another thing that, that I know that I have. It's the whole reason why I went to the U of M to learn language. Is that I had to be my own cheerleader. Because back home, back here, nobody was really encouraging me to learn language. People wanted me, uh, my dad really wanted me to go to school to be a business, to go into business. And I, I love business to this day. I took a lot of business courses down there. And I want to, uh, you know, could imagine building a business, hopefully in the near future. Um, but um, thinking about being my own cheerleader, my opinion had to matter more than anyone else's. And that's kind of how I, I, how I live my life. My opinion always matters more than anyone else's. If somebody tells me, you should stop working hard. You should stop working on this project so hard. Um, you're, you're getting too far ahead of everybody. Or you should take it easy, take a day off, and not learn something. Like, no, I, I'm doing this for me. There's, you can't tell me what to do. My the what what's inside of me is telling Programmed. me. Programmed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how I program myself because it was a survival instinct to learn Ojibwe, to learn the language, to learn culture, to stick my neck out there when uh, I felt like nobody else was doing it. To go to elders and ask questions that no one else was asking. That I felt like. And then the third one being. Um, Third one, impulse control. Having a having impulse control, being able to, um, you know, plan things out, being able to take your time doing things. Having, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read a 365 book page. I mean, 365 page, page book, book. Yeah. all in one night. Because it's never going to work that way. I know I'm going to have to read the first chapter, second chapter, two, three times. Especially if it's an Ojibwe for me to get it. Or like the like the ceremony. <clears throat> I'm going to have to read this thing over and over and over again. And then listen to it ten more times on that. To having that impulse control that if I want to know this, I'm going to have to put in the work for it too at the same time. Yeah. And so all those things, um, I just had a conversation with Chato about this. We were hunting and I said, Hey, I want to run this by you. I think, I think I've, I've figured out some of the things why we learned Ojibwe. And I started listing all these three things and 
He's like, I think you're right. And to this day, I, I, can anyone do that? <clears throat> like the insecurities push pushed me to to something inside of me, like that superiority complex will overpower those insecurities, but those insecurities will make me learn, will make me read something 20 times, will make me go to the gym every single day because I feel like if I'm putting in the work, if I'm outworking everybody else, then I'll get what I want. And then no one can take that away from me. And then having that impulse control to keep doing those things. I think it's it, like having those three things always constantly work and it, I apply it to different things in my life. And then, but that that's how I've got language. And I'm pretty sure that's how everybody who any good second language speaker, anyone that's really doing the work out there. I think that's those three qualities. They exist in every one of those people. So to work on, to learn language and to learn culture, I think just because everybody has insecurities. Yeah. So what's keeping Ojibwe people from learning Ojibwe? It's the insecurities. Hey, I'm going to sound stupid if, if I get up there and talk. Even though I'm telling, I could tell you, hey, you sound better than me talking to Ojibwe. I want you to get up there and talk, and you would probably be scared to. Oh, or yeah. you would have those feelings inside of you, like, no, you should. You uh, know this. I can't remember it, or I can't yeah. do it, yeah. And that's what. But then that's, you let those other things, like, so if you got, if everybody has insecurities, work on the superiority complex. Work on being the, the better cheerleader for yourself. And say, uh, your opinion matters more than anyone else. So I'm going to learn Ojibwe. I know I have these insecurities. I want to learn Ojibwe. I'm going to learn the culture. I'm going to learn ceremonies. Because that matters more than anything else at the moment. And then impulse control. Doing things, um, you know, either being disciplined or taking your time doing those things. Or not, not blowing things up. Yep. Not getting frustrated and walking away from it. And if so if you don't have those other two traits, work on those two traits. How can I have impulse control? Well, I'm going to work on that. I'm not going to get frustrated to the point where I give up. I'm going to have superiority complex to the point where no one can tell me I'm wrong. No one can tell me Ojibwe is not, uh, not going to do anything for me. Because the whole reason why I believe I'm here, sitting here, having this conversation with you is because I, I, I have learned Ojibwe. I have learned things about our culture. I don't say I know all of Ojibwe, but I have learned. You have knowledge. The language. Yeah. Uh, not all of it, but how to have conversations with people and, and how to transcribe it out. And I know what I know. Yeah. You learned it. Yeah. You learned it. Still learning. And I think what I want to do, because I know our cameras cut out. Yeah. And people be listening to this anyways, is that we can come back and do another cultural episode. Yeah. We, that, I, I think we should do them at least every other month, like yeah. every few months at least. But this, 
this has been good, man. And, and I like this. This this shows a little bit about who we are as people and, and um, how we carry ourselves and, and how we are able to do what we do. It's like, yeah, we, we work full-time jobs. We're full-time parents. But, it, but it's like we make time to make it on here just to put time in together, you know, and that, that makes me feel good about me. Like, like anything is possible. And, and we, we, I believe that we are the proof that, that we do make time for the things that we want. And we're showing people that it can be done. Heck yeah. Well, brother, I appreciate you coming on and appreciate helping you, helping me get the cultural episode out and next time uh, i think well, what i want to talk about next time when we do another one is our ceremonial drums because that's a whole nother oh yeah we could talk Wait. about ceremonial <laughs> drums oh, yeah, over we, and over we, again yeah. it could just be every yeah. week we could come on and talk about that <laughs> talk about yeah we, we could talk about a lot of stuff man it, it's like this is just the just that little bit and, and that's and and it's a lot and there's a lot there we didn't talk about so it's like there's there's a lot to come there is a lot to come and um a lot more to be talked about oh i hope yep you have a good night oh wait wait